Let us turn now to the Word of God in the Old Testament, also known to us as the Hebrew Bible. In the book of Lamentations, I'll be reading chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. Hear God's Word. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, open my lips and let my mouth declare Your praise. Amen. Two years ago, on my 50th birthday, my family wanted to know what I would like to do. I'm sure they thought I would have all kinds of ideas. And I said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to go hunt shark's teeth. And they kind of looked at me funny. They didn't expect that. But that's what we did. We took a day trip to the Northern Neck up in Westmoreland County and went out onto the banks of the Potomac River and hunted shark's teeth. As the day grew on, my hopes of finding the tooth of a lifetime, a megalodon, grew dim. You know, that's the largest fish that most likely ever swam. And when we finally left at the end of the day, making our way back through the nor northern neck, meandering back to Midlothian, my day's catch was contained in a small snack size Ziploc bag. <laughs> but for me, hunting shark's teeth has significant meaning. I've always enjoyed it, and it had been quite some time since I had done it. But it reminds me of a very difficult time in my life and helps me re be reminded of God's presence. I don't know that I really understood it then, but I sure do now. When my family moved to South Carolina between first and second grade, you know, my dad had gotten a transfer there from Atlanta where we had previously lived. Before that, it was Philadelphia, as you've heard me say before. But we moved to Ladson, South Carolina, which is outside of Charleston, right near Somerville. Charleston Southern University is down in that area. And we started to attend a Presbyterian church that met in the clubhouse of a country club. We would set chairs up in the mornings and take the chairs down after worship. My dad became an elder and he was an usher in the church. One of the things I remember most, especially boys and girls, as you were talking about the bread and the juice today, is after communion at that church, they let all of us kids come back into the kitchen of the clubhouse and eat the leftover bread. Our family was among the early charter members of that congregation. It's called Dorchester Presbyterian Church. 
while we were attending there, the church purchased some property and broke ground on its very first building. And our pastor, Reverend Richard Cushman, took all of us kids out to the site after they started digging dirt. His hobby was archaeology and digging fossils. And he taught us how to dig shark's teeth and find fossils. And that area is ripe for fossil hunting. And that kind of spurred me on to hunt shark's teeth, and I did it whenever I could. About three years after we moved to that area, my mom and dad got separated, and subsequently they got a divorce. My brother Kevin and I lived with our mom and about 45 minutes away, and on the weekends we would go see dad, and then every Tuesday he would take us out to dinner at Dino's, Italian restaurant. But if things weren't bad enough, my dad lost his job. His company eliminated his position. And I will always remember how Reverend Cushman was there for him. He and his wife would have my brother, my dad, my brother, and I over to their house for dinner. And while we hung out with their kids, I saw Pastor Cushman sitting with my dad, helping him. He counseled my dad and helped him through a very dark time and helped us to see the light. He was Christ to us. And every time I think of hunting shark's teeth, I'm reminded of Reverend Richard Cushman and remembered how he was there for our family. It reminds me of the presence of God when the world around me was crumbling. The poet who wrote Lamentations reveals this same kind of hope to us when the world around him was falling apart. The book of Lamentations, as you know, is part of the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. Lamentations is associated in the Hebrew Scriptures with Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, Ruth, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. Those books are used in particular Jewish festivals through the year. Lamentations, in particular, is used in the festival Tisha B'Av, which recalls the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 587 B.C. by the Babylonians. Tisha B'Av is considered the saddest day in the Jewish calendar, and today it is still used to lament tragedies that have happened over the course of history among the Jewish people, such as the Holocaust, and even in recent days or recent times, the tragedy in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. In the Christian Bible, Lamentations is not included with those books, but rather it's included in the books of the major prophets right behind Jeremiah because although some scholars aren't sure uh, or don't agree that Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, it was a contemporary of his and they were uh, uh, very similar in their makeup. Jeremiah wrote concerning the dark part of the history of the people of, he, of Israel and so did the poet of Lamentations. One writer suggests this, full of imagery and frank in admitting human sin, the poetry in Lamentations laments the broken city of Jerusalem and the desolate nation of Judah. In the face of Auschwitz-like suffering after Babylonian exile, the lyrics give voice to the grief of heartbroken people who stand in the rubble of atrocity. If you read the five chapters, you'll see that there are some similarities among them. 
Chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5 are acrostic poems, and they are representative of the characters in the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 of them, hence 22 verses. For us, it would be A, B, C, and so forth. In the Hebrew, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, and so forth. But chapter 3, which includes our sermon text, is the most intricate of the poems. It is 66 verses. Verse 1, 2, and 3 are attributed to their letter Aleph, or A. 4, 5, and 6 to Bet, which is B, and so forth. So three verses for each of the characters in the alphabet, hence 66 verses. Continuing all the way to the final character, Ta. The literary and theological center of the book is right here in chapter 3. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. But here's the shift. Yet this I call to mind. There's the shift. The theological center is in the midst of brokenness. There's a a yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. There are hopeful words right in the midst of suffering. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. I will have hope. In the middle of this book, we are reminded of two truths. First, that we go through some very tough experiences in this life. That's true. We do. You know it. And I know it. That's a truth. It's a reality. But second, the second truth is the fact that God is unchanging. God is compassionate. God is just. God is merciful. His steadfast love is never failing. His mercies are new each morning. Like the poet, when we face the tragedies and difficulties and the hardships and the heartaches of this life, God is there with us, and we have hope. Under great duress, the center of the book recalls the Lord's old promise to priests to be their portion. When Israel settled in Canaan, the priestly family of Aaron was given no portion of the land because the Lord said, I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel in Numbers 18.20. It is this sense of personal relationship with the Lord that enabled the poet of Lamentations to say, the Lord is my portion. And to live in a world of uncertainty and evil with the confidence and assurance of God's presence, promise, and God's provision. God is our portion. Laments in the Bible, laments when we express our grief and our sorrows and our losses to God, when we acknowledge them and give them to the Lord, they can be a way that leaders, teachers, people who are shepherding others might not be able to articulate, but God's Word gives us the freedom to do that. The poet writes, I remember my affliction and my wandering, or being like a refugee. You can imagine the pain and the difficulty that refugees around the world, even at our own borders, are experiencing and how people often treat them or think of them or don't let them in or, or uh, all these things. You imagine what it must be like. And the writer is saying, I remember my affliction and my wandering like one who is a refugee and also remembering the bitterness and the gall, the pain and the suffering. And he remembers the reasons for the hope that he has. 
The laments give us the courage to verbalize whatever it is we might be going through. So I hope that today will encourage us to remember the laments when we go through difficult times that God is present. And God says, I'm big enough to handle whatever it is that you need to tell me about. Like the psalmist writes in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we wept. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we are in a foreign land? The laments give us, give voice to the voiceless. They allow us to name what's going on and to express that to God in ways that God understands but others might not. The laments give voice to the voiceless and allow us to express questions like how. In fact, the very first word in the book of Lamentations, chapter 1, is the Hebrew word translated how. We're given permission to ask God how long, why, when, And like Jesus shouted from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Quoting the first part of Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. The laments are throughout the book of Jeremiah, through this book of Lamentations, expressed throughout the psalms. In fact, some scholars write that there are more lament psalms in the Psalter than other uh, types of psalms. And typically the Lamentations, also like Job, they give us a structure of, of, of ways that we can express ourselves to God. There's, there's generally an invocation where we direct our thoughts to God. There is a lament where we articulate what the problem is. And then there's a petition where we appeal to God to do something about it, to alleviate the problem. And the form of the laments typically moves us to a time of confession and trust in God and even praise in God. Lord, You are my portion and I will wait for You. One counselor that I consulted this week encourages us to voice both the good and the bad stuff that we experience. And you know, sometimes other people might not understand it when we have questions, especially questions that are directed to God. Sometimes people might not understand that even Christians are allowed to ask whatever questions are necessary. God's grace is all sufficient for our questioning. And she she said the, the laments provide a pathway for this kind of freedom and healing. When we talk to God or talk to someone like a trusted counselor, There is healing, and we are able to gain freedom and a release from the weight that we um, give to the Lord as a result of articulating our concern. And she says, it's like we are created to communicate the good, the bad, and the ugly to our Lord through laments. God created us, she writes, in this way to have a full relationship with Him, hence to, to lament. Sometimes... It's through a minister reading these corporately. Others, it's in a one-on-one conversation with a trusted counselor. But we don't have to sugarcoat it with God. The laments don't sugarcoat it. We don't have to worry about what we say or how we say it because God's big enough to handle it. Gives voice to the voiceless. And then the laments also have a language. I hope that Lamentations can remind us to learn the language of the laments. 
I believe that the structure of these chapters, based on the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 characters of it, chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5, and then chapter 3, triple that, helps us to know that we are able to give God whatever's going on in our life from A to Z. You can take the English alphabet, A, B, C, D, and you can start going through it and express our laments to God from anxiety to zoster. Do you know what zoster is? Zoster is the virus that causes the shingles. Right? Anxiety to zoster. A to Z. Aleph to tall. We can express all of our griefs and losses and hurts because we have the language of the laments. And then last, is the laments help us to name and utilize our go-to in the toughest of times? Do you have a go-to? Sometimes counselors will work with us and help us to have or to uh, create a safe place. It might be a frame of mind when we are experiencing anxiety, maybe we're taking a test and we're really having a hard time and our counselor has helped us to go to our safe place. That safe place may be at the beach. To imagine being in a peaceful place or out on the water on a lake or something peaceful, lying in a hammock, right? That safe place where we can go. Others, that safe place might be a person whom you trust. It could be a trusted pastor or Sunday school teacher or youth or children's worker, but do, do you have a go-to? I believe one of the go-tos we see is in verse 21 through 26. When life throws a curveball to us, that we can go to our safe place and recall a safe place. Like hunting shark's teeth was for me so long ago. Dr. John Chandler refers to a poet named Czeslaw Milots, who calls these go-to places small devices. Milots writes, During World War II, Polish victims of German occupation expressed their state through thoroughly conventional memories and metaphors. These small devices were already in their repertoire, traditional motifs available in the most upsetting of times. These are the vehicles through which victims dealt with primal suffering. This is what happens in Lamentations 3, when every bit of topsoil has been scraped away through pain, old memories of God's promises and deliverance bubble up from the, uh, to the surface from the depths. If we have these small devices or these go-tos, they can help sustain us in times of trouble. Maybe you have some, like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or one I use often the Jesus Prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or maybe Ephesians 6, putting on the full armor of God. 
Or from 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Or maybe your go-to is a favorite hymn or Christian song, like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. For Thomas Chisholm, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 was his go-to. He was born in a log cabin in Kentucky in 1866. He lacked a formal education, but eventually, even though he only went through elementary school, became a teacher at the age of 16 and became the assistant editor of the local newspaper in his hometown. Chisholm became a Christian at the age of 27 and surrendered to God's call to ministry as a Methodist pastor at age 36. Sadly, he had extraordinarily difficult health circumstances, and he only stayed in the ministry for one year. For the rest of his life, he struggled with poor health. Chisholm later moved to New Jersey and spent the rest of his life there working as a life insurance agent. Still, even at a regular desk job, God can work through us, you know. He wrote some 1,200 hymns, including eight poems, 1,200 poems, including some 800 published hymns. Some appeared in religious periodicals and other in Sunday school material. One of his poems caught the eye of an editor at the Hope Publishing Company in Chicago, and they put it to the press, and Great is Thy Faithfulness was written, although written in 1923, made available to the general public. In 1954, George Beverly Shea, the famous singer who traveled with Billy Graham, introduced this hymn in Great Britain, and immediately it became a favorite, and it has been transforming for thousands upon thousands of people unto this day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 provides the basis for the refrain, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. For so many, these verses and this hymn have been a go-to. Today we go to the symbols Jesus gave his disciples and gives to us. The symbols of bread and cup. The symbols that remind us that God's compassions fail not. That His everlasting love endures throughout the generations. That His mercies are new every morning. And that He is our portion. These symbols are our go-to. Small devices that remind us of the great price He paid for our freedom, for our forgiveness, and for our eternity. And on that night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he distributed it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. As often as you meet together, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, and he blessed it and poured it out, saying, this is my blood shed for you for the remissions of your sins, and the sins of many, the new covenant in my blood. As often as you meet, take and drink. 
This do in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the death of the Son of Man until he comes. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you so very much for this sacred meal and that we can come to your table today to receive your blessing. In these quiet moments, as our deacons are preparing to serve us, would you help us to offer our confessions to you, knowing that when we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for being our go-to. Thank you for these symbols that are a go-to. Thank you for the words of Scripture today and throughout the canon, for they are a go-to. Thank you for the gift of one another that we can be a go-to for someone else. In Jesus' name, amen.